Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome again. We're so glad that every single one of you is here. Uh, very short introduction today. We've got so much to cover, uh, just jumping right in. But I do want to make sure you know where we're at. This is the third week in a series called Arrival, where we're celebrating and exploring and trying to apply to our daily lives what it means that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, the God who shows up, the God who is present, the God who is there with us at all times. And we're especially we've been looking back into how over the Christmas season, especially we look back over how he has shown up in the past, how he's shown up as the Messiah, as the Savior, how he was born, how he lived, how he taught us all the things he wanted us to know, unpack the scriptures for us in ways that we never could have understood without him doing it the way he did. His death, his burial, his resurrection, everything. This morning we're looking ahead. And with confidence, because we know what his track record is. We know he keeps his promises. We know he's there. But we're looking ahead. Jesus is coming back again. So today is arrival soon. We know it's soon because the Bible says soon. But also, we've got to remember that God kind of sees time a little differently than we do. When you have no beginning and no end, soon to God is not always exactly what we think it is. In fact, we'll see in just a few minutes, we're going to spend most of our time today actually just reading scripture together. And one of the things you'll see is that only God the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. Here's what we know, though. Jesus will return. He always keeps his promises. Uh, We've been over this a couple of times in the last couple weeks. One more time, just to remind you, maybe catch you up if this is your first day. I want to make sure you've got this. Some things you need to know about God all the time, just in your daily life. Here's how it works. He always, always keeps his promises. He loves to team up with people. He loves to work with people. We're not totally sure why sometimes, but he does. He wants to team up with you. That's some of the things he does. But he keeps his promises. He teams up with us. He gives us joy and peace along the journey. Even in the midst of grief and sorrow and things that we're thinking, hey, you know what? If he really loved us, he'd actually protect us from those things. Those things wouldn't happen. But even in the midst of that, he's there with us, just like he promised. And then at the end of it all, he always comes through in ways that we never could have imagined. This is one more thing that you can always expect when you're dealing with God is he's going to do some things that are unexpected. Even if he tells you exactly what's going to happen, it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. He's always going to surprise you. And that's just something that you can expect, is expect there's going to be something unexpected. And in response, here's how how it always works on our part, no matter what we're studying, what part of the Bible, what area of our faith that we're really exploring at the time. Here's something you can always know as well. He expects us to trust him and to obey. And when we do, we get to share his love. And that means to experience it, to actually share it in the sense that we're part of the family, part of his team, but also that he expects us to share it and bring more people into the family, help more people join the team. These are foundational truths that apply to everything. And underneath all of that is God's love. 
Again, we're looking primarily today into the future. We're looking at Jesus' return. But to really handle this well, and as the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like we've got to handle it the way we're doing it today. So bear with me. Underneath, no matter what else you've ever heard about Jesus' second coming, what you know, what you've studied, what somebody's taught you, here's underneath all of it. It's got to be, we've got to approach this through love. We've got to approach this through joy and expectation. Everything that we have in the scripture about his second coming, every prophecy, every promise, everything was given us so that we would be encouraged, so that we would find hope, so that we would find purpose, so we'd know exactly what we need to do to prepare for his return. Not so that we can fight over exactly how to interpret every single verse that we have about it. Is everybody, are we on the same page about this this morning? So it, it, th this is why we're going to mostly just look at scripture this morning. This is not, a, this is not something where we're going to, uh, I, I want you to just see things exactly how I see them. I want you to passionately dig into the, into the scriptures with me and, and let's find some hope together. But again, the love thing. Jesus said in John 13, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. Notice it's our love for one another that will prove that we're his disciples. Not that we understand everything. Not that we all totally get every single idea exactly the same way, but that we love. I think that's important. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Last week, we looked back at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We pick up the story right there. Just pretty much right after he had come back to life, Luke in Luke chapter 24, we see the story where he meets two men on their journey to Emmaus. Emmaus was about six miles away from Jerusalem. Interesting trivia. I don't know if you guys keep up with archaeology or not, but they've confirmed finally where Emmaus was. There was some debate about that, but in 2019, they now know that Emmaus was from archaeology, not just faith. They know that it's six miles from Jerusalem where it is. Pretty cool. So, uh, Anyway, that's another story. Sorry, slight derail. I get excited about weird stuff. Here's what happened, though. Jesus spends most of the day walking with these guys, talking to them, almost pretending that he doesn't know what they're talking about, but then turning the conversation around and helping them understand what had been happening, uh, his death and his burial and his resurrection. And he kind of walks them through it. And then as they share a meal and they see him breaking bread, suddenly their eyes are open. It doesn't explain exactly why they didn't recognize him at first. There's a lot of great guesses, but they're just guesses. But here's what we know. They didn't recognize him until he broke bread. And when he broke bread, they did. And then he kind of just teleports away. It's kind of a strange but really cool story. And then... They get so excited. They spent the day walking to this place that's six miles away from Jerusalem. As soon as they realize they've seen the risen Lord, they take off back to Jerusalem. And they get back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night and they run in to see all the other disciples and they go, we've seen the risen Lord. And they go, hey, guess what? We have too. And right there in the night, Jesus himself shows up and starts this little Bible study with them. 
At the end of Luke chapter 24, it says, Jesus appeared to them and opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness for sins for all who repent, and you are witnesses of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I think it's really important to remember that Jesus was physically present with them. His resurrected body could do a few things that ours can't. I think that gives me a lot of really cool hope about what our resurrected, resurrected bodies will look like someday in heaven, what we'll be able to do. It's a really cool imagination starter, if nothing else. But he could also eat and drink and just be with them. He's physically present with them. He had once again shown up. And once they saw him, once, once they saw him actually physically risen from the dead, all the other stuff that he had said all along starts coming back to them. And as he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, understand what he himself had told them, all the stuff starts coming back and they start remembering the things that he had said. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 all focus on some things about the end of time that Jesus himself had said. We're going to look at several of those things today and several more. But first, I, as you read those, and I hope you do. By the way, in your bulletin, every single week is not only the, bullet, the outline, but a lot more scriptures than we'll ever get through. My dream and prayer every single time, I try to say this every time, is I hope that you take these home and read these for yourself. And as you do, as you read Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, I want you to keep in mind a couple of things. In all three of those accounts... The conversation starts where they're talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And a lot of times, no matter who you are, who I am, we all get confused because it's kind of one big conversation. But part of the time he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. That happened in AD 70. That already happened. And his predictions all came true. That, boom, there it was. Then it kind of derails into a whole other thing that he's talking about, about when he actually is coming back at the end of time. So it's a little confusing, but keep in mind as you read that, that you're looking at both things. You're looking at two different things. A couple more things, and then, like I said, we're going to spend most of our time today just actually going through Scripture. I won't tell as many stories as I tell or jokes or anything like that. We're just going to look at what the Bible actually says about Christ's return. But a couple more things really quickly. One is, there's a thing in the Bible called cyclical prophecy. That's a term that you won't find in the Bible. It's kind of like the Trinity. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all throughout the scriptures. But we had to kind of look at all of that, squint really hard and try to try our best to come up with a way to explain that. And we came up with this word called the Trinity and the concept of him being three in one and all that stuff. It, it makes sense, but it's not outlined in scripture. So you're not going to find a verse that tells you this. But this is what happens a lot with prophecy in the Bible is that it comes true several times. One of the most famous we just looked at a couple weeks ago, and that was where Isaiah said that a young woman, the word for young woman and virgin was pretty much the same word, but a young woman, a virgin, would have a child, and he would save Israel. 
That prophecy came true within his lifetime. Uh, the, the woman was not a technical virgin af, af, after that prophecy was made and she got pregnant. Nobody expected that to be literal. Nobody had any idea. But that prophecy came true within his lifetime. But hundreds of years later, as the writers of the Gospels were re- looking back from Jesus and what he'd actually done, and they're like, oh my goodness, this crazy miracle was somebody was born from an actual virgin birth. Isaiah said that back then. This is the ultimate fulfillment of something that had happened a long time ago. Some of the prophecies in the Bible kind of happen over and over again. And here's, that's another thing why I'd like you to keep your eyes and ears and hearts wide open as you read these chapters. Because here's some of the things Jesus predicted in the last days. He said there's going to be false saviors, false religions. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and earthquakes, and persecution of believers. That's literally happened nonstop since Jesus went back up to heaven. There have been so many people that have risen up that could have been the Antichrist, could have been the man of lawlessness, could have been the beast, could have been some of these other things that we're not going to dig too, super deep into today, but they, they could have been. Hitler could have done that. Are you with me on this? It could have happened then, but it didn't. My personal belief, this is, this is one of the few of my personal beliefs that I'm going to throw out to you today. And you can tell you leave it because this is me. This is John Pryor. But I personally believe that this is a cyclical prophecy. That, there are, that these things that Jesus is telling us to watch for in the last days. That it happens over and over until he comes. But there will be an ultimate fulfillment where there's no missing it. I think, I think as we read these scriptures together, you'll probably see it at least similarly to that. Are you ready to just read scripture now? All right, awesome. Here we go. These are this guys, this is hope. This is this is what we're supposed to live for. This is our greatest motivation. This is what it's all about. Here we go. Matthew 24. This is Jesus Christ himself speaking. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the son of man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Notice there's several things that are happening here. We're going to see those same things happen over and over. One that's interesting is where it says the sign of the Son of Man is coming. Watch for that because they kind of say what that is in some of the other passages. But let's keep going. Here's Jesus still talking. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. I don't know how that's possible. But Jesus himself said it, so we're going to say it's true. You with me? When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. 
Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knows exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So here's what we know for sure. We don't know for sure when he's coming. Does that make sense? Okay, he said this. So, so if anybody tells you, hey, I've got this math problem worked out and I, uncode, I decoded like there's so many pages in the Old Testament and so many in the New Testament. And if you divide that by three and multiply by seven, boom, he's coming on August 7th. No. And if somehow by some miracle that they, he was right or she was right, I'm telling you right now, God's probably going to change that plan. Because he said he's going to come when we least expect it. That's something we can get straight out of Scripture. And whatever else we believe and however right or wrong we are about how we understand this stuff, it, we've got to keep coming back to the Scripture itself to really get it. Here's something else to know about prophecy. Prophecy is almost always vague, and it's all about expectation. Anytime you see a prophecy anywhere in the Old or New Testament, anytime you see God give a prophecy now, it's not as common now, but anytime, here's why he gives us prophecies. It's to motivate us to do something as we wait. He never gives prophecies to explain exactly. He, he gave a dream to young baby little Joseph, not baby, but little, little kid Joseph back in the Old Testament. You probably remember this. And he dreamed that his brothers would be bowing down to him, even the sun and the moon. He had, had this idea that a bunch of people would be bowing to him. His whole life, even when he was in prison, even all the terrible things, he knew that somehow that dream was real. That was something that God was trying to tell him. But God did not tell him, one of these days, you're going to be second in command of Egypt and save everyone from a famine. He didn't know the details until it was right there. Does that make sense? Same with Abraham. He said, you're going to have more descendants than can ever be counted. And it was like a long time, decades later, before he even had his first kid. He didn't explain how it was going to happen. He just said it's going to happen. That's how prophecy works. So, the scriptures that mention... The man of lawlessness, the mark of the beast, the great tribulation, some other things that a lot of Christians tend to fight over and obsess with and get scared about, they're in your bulletin answer, but we're going to kind of skip over those. Not because they're not important. Everything in the Bible is important. But what we're focusing on today are the things that we know for sure. The things that Jesus himself said about the day of his return and the things that his followers referred back where they quoted him and where they encouraged each other and commanded us to encourage each other about these things. That's what we're focusing on this morning. I encourage you to go back and read these others. Let me tell you, I have studied, I have studied this so much, and I love jumping off the deep end, but I'd rather do that one-on-one -on -one with anybody who has some deep questions and some books that you've read and you're really curious about it. This morning, again, let's focus on the scripture. Let's get back in that. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is writing and he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I'm quoting Jesus here. 
Remember that stuff he said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21? This is me telling you more about that. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a command, commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Remember in the first passage I read it said there's going to be a sign that he's coming. All the other passages say straight up what that sign is. And that is the dead in Christ will rise first. When we rise to meet Jesus in the air, all of your loved ones, all the people that you're missing so bad, all the people that, are, that were died in the Lord, all the past, everyone who's died up to that moment in history and has gone to be with God, they will be with him. And we're caught up to be with them. Mark 13, still Jesus talking. It's just Mark's account of it. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world and the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Peter writes in 2 Peter, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Is this starting to sound like a big cohesive thing? The stuff that we know about the day of the Lord, the day of his return, is not prophecy in the sense of what we've been talking about so much. It's not in code. It's not vague. There's no like sacred numbers in there, three or ten or seven or, or twelve or a thousand. It's saying this is what's going to happen. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to be able to miss it. The sun is going to be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The dead in Christ will rise first and we're going to be caught up to meet them in the air. It's the end. History is over. That's that. And I'm just telling you exactly what it says here in God's word. Whatever else, however, the timelines and what happens here and there and there and whatever questions you've got, we're measuring it against what the scripture itself tells us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he came back. After the end, that, the end will come and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. At the end of that chapter, he says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds... Those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. 
and we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The day of judgment is another thing we don't have a lot of time to dig into, but it's pretty important. We're all going to be accountable. Once again, I, I've explained this several times, and hopefully you knew that long before you ever heard me say anything about it. But without Jesus, we don't have a chance. We are not saved by the works that we do. There's absolutely no way that we can even approach the throne of God without Jesus and his sacrifice. That's why he had to do it. But those of us who've accepted that sacrifice, who have been, who've chosen to be followers of Jesus, there is responsibility. He always teams up with people. Remember that? We don't have a chance at all, but we will be rewarded for what we do based on what he did, how we partnered with him, how we spent his li our lives, how we used the Holy Spirit that he put inside of us, how we use the gifts he gives us, how we use the opportunities and the wealth and everything else he gives us. We're going to be accountable to that. It's very clear throughout scripture. Last week, I encouraged you to read ahead and read Revelation 21 and 22. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you didn't get around to that, please go back and read that today. It also harmonizes very well with all of this stuff. It's saying the same thing, but in a much more poetic and kind of cryptic um, way. But it's beautiful. 1 Thessalonians 4. Back into that chapter again. Now, concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. We've got that down now, right? Everybody got this? Good. Like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us live in the light and be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Once again, some of this stuff is kind of scary. I get it. But that's not why I'm telling you this. This is all about encouraging us. This is what we're getting ready for. This is what Jesus left us with and said, this is going to happen, so get ready. First Peter again. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Your reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Can you picture this day? Can you imagine what this is going to be like? Everything's just going ahead like normal. There's terrible stuff happening, obviously, but there's terrible stuff happening at various places around the world right this minute, right now. Stuff's happening, it's good stuff, bad stuff is going on, and all of a sudden, boom, the whole world falls apart. The sun goes dark, the moon goes dark, the dead in Christ rise. We literally, every person on earth sees Jesus Christ. And then the angels gather us up, all of us who are still alive, we're rise to meet him in the clouds. The, the earth is destroyed. Revelation 21 and 22 it explains that God will actually destroy this earth and make a new heaven and new earth that are combined. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? First Peter again. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living or satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now we go back into the story where Jesus had just come back to life. He spends about 40 days talking to people, sharing things, unpacking things, opening the scriptures to them. And then we have two accounts that harmonize perfectly of him actually ascending into heaven. We're going to look at both of those right now. First is in Acts chapter 1. He's talking to them on a mountain, getting ready to rise up, and he gives them a battle plan. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're going to come back and revisit that verse a lot next week, by the way. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. What does that mean? Tangibly. He's going to physically show up in the sky. They saw him physically rise up in the sky. He's going to physically show back up in the sky. He's coming back down the way we saw him go. Matthew 28, I quote this almost every single week, it seems like. But this is the Great Commission according to Matthew. It's the same thing, but he, here's the words he said. He said, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. And I will always be with you, even to the very end of this age. As we wrap up, let's go back one more time to Matthew 24. 
And then let's figure out what we need to do to respond this morning. Again, the words of Jesus Christ himself. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. That's one of the things God's waiting on, by the way. is for us to get the gospel everywhere. Every distinct group of people needs to hear the truth. Maybe God's calling you to be part of that this morning. I think he calls every Christian to be part of that in one way or another. Maybe he wants you to do that in a more career kind of a way, a more dedicated kind of way. I hope you're all open to that at least. It's no accident that Matthew 25 comes right after Matthew 24. It was centuries later that people put all the numbers and verses in there. But Matthew 25 is where we have three stories about accountability. Three stories about you better be ready. You better be on your guard. You better watch. Only the sheep are going to make it, not the goats. This is real. This is not about being afraid. But this is about we've got to be prepared. And here's my question for you this morning. What do you need to do? To make sure that you're ready when Jesus comes back. What is Jesus asking you to do between now and then? If you are a believer. He has something very specific for you to do. You as an individual. You as a part of whatever family or friend group you're a part of. You as a part of this church. Or whatever church family you're a part of at this moment. Whatever. He has something that you're supposed to do to help get ready. To get the word out. To make more disciples. To prepare. He's got stuff that he wants you to give up. He's got stuff that he wants you to do. And we don't know when he's coming back. We just know it's going to be awesome. And we know that it's not going to be in any way something that we can miss. Something we can go, well, that was cool. Maybe tomorrow. That's the last. There's no more tomorrows except eternity on the other side. Of the final return of Jesus Christ. But you've got today. What do you need to do? Where's he asking you to go? Who's he asking you to disciple? If you've never been baptized, what are you waiting on? If there's somebody that you know you're trying to lead to Christ, maybe today would be a great day for you to baptize them. Who are you teaching to obey everything that the Lord commanded? Are you obeying everything that he commanded? Whatever you need to do to make sure that you're ready, whatever you need to commit to do, to be ready when he comes and to get the world ready for him to come back. That's what we need to do as we stand and sing together. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.